there was this group that came to town and they said they were traveling around to go off and search for one of them and had gotten lost and he found it and he was so overjoyed when he found it that he got home and he called all of his neighbors and friends and he threw a big party. Now what sort of fool leaves 99 sheep? And I was still trying to figure that one out when Jesus started talking about conflict resolution. And, and he said, if a brother sins against us, that we are to go alone to that one, one-on-one, -on -one, and meet with him alone, one-on-one, -on -one, and talk to him and talk about our grievance. And if they listen to us, great. And if not, well, then we're supposed to get uh, one or two more to go with us. And, uh, and then if, if they still, if he listens, great. And if not, well, you know, and so on, take it to the whole group. And I nodded and I thought, you know, exactly right. And in fact, I had an entire breakfast table full of witnesses who would agree with me because I had called each one of them last night on the phone and explained how things needed to go in my side of the Sea of Galilee and they were going to be going to Jerusalem on something called a journey with Jesus and they said Jesus was absolutely amazing like he was not like anybody they had ever met before and I should come along for the trip so I signed on I packed my bags and I went off with them on this fabulous tour or so I thought. I don't know if you've ever been stuck on a tour or in a bus with people who couldn't get along and were bickering, but there are these two men on the trip who are constantly at one another's throat. They're brothers and they're always bickering at every stop, bickering at dinner, bickering with one another. You know, it's uncomfortable. It makes the rest of us kind of squirm and I just I want it to stop it's awkward I thought this was going to be a fun trip journeying with Jesus all over these great places you know a bit of adventure I was on board for all of that but now we're stuck out here with Peter and Andrew and they're getting on my last nerve if you want to know the truth one minute they're shouting the next minute, they're brooding, and it's really hard to say which one is worse. Andrew's mad because Peter jumped out of the boat wanting to be the first one to greet Jesus, which means that Andrew and the rest of us were stuck having to haul in the nets on this fishing expedition, and we had to row while Peter got to walk on water. And then there was that crowd gathered on the hill, they were all there to hear sort of Jesus in concert. And Andrew has, was the one that had to search the mob until he could find five loaves and two fish. But of course, Peter was right up there up front with everybody saying he had all the answers. And then, just last week, Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to call you the rock. Even though all the rest of us had called Jesus Messiah at least once. So why should Peter get all the attention and all the glory? Peter is probably the one, when they were kids, who was always getting into fights. I look at the two of them, I figure, yeah, Peter, he's the one. He was always fighting in the schoolyard. I bet he's the one who, uh, who was... Um, 
I'm sorry, mouthing off to the teacher, stole persimmons from the marketplace, smooth talked to all the girls. You know, I, when you get down to it, I really feel for Andrew. I really do. Andrew's a nice guy. I, you know, he's just got this lousy older brother. Andrew's that, the kind of person who works behind the scenes getting things done, like me. You know, and, and to hear Peter tell it, Andrew's just a dead weight, a stick in the mud, like an anchor who's dragging him down in life. So it seems to me that the group would be a lot better off without Peter. In fact, some of us have taken the matter to Jesus and told him that we think he should do something about it and that maybe he could just leave Peter at the next stop. When we went to Jesus, he said something, though, about loving one another and carrying uh, burdens and crosses. And I said, listen to me. This is not what I signed up for. You can't tell me I'm going to carry a cross. I'm supposed to be on a fun journey with Jesus. None of this cross stuff. And do you know what he did? He laughed. He laughed at me, guffawed, actually. He's going to learn to take me a little more seriously. I can tell you that obviously he is unfit to be leading this expedition. He even said himself this trip might be dangerous. Well, you can imagine it was kind of awkward at breakfast. We were all sitting there eating our pancakes, dead silence around the table. And Jesus decided to tell us one of his stories. This time it was a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he left 99 sheep to free and they were all in agreement with me. So there was no problem with that. But then I heard Jesus going on and he said they had to be impartial witnesses. Well, what use is that? That we weren't supposed to take our supporters with us. No, it had to be somebody who didn't know the story and they could just listen to everybody's words and make sure nothing got misrepresented. And then he said if that didn't work and the offender still wouldn't listen, that we were to take our issue to the whole community because he said whatever affects one or two of us affects everybody. Well, I want you to know he's got that right. And I have just had it up to here with Peter and Andrew and this trip. And then somebody asked, what are we to do if the one who sinned still wouldn't listen even to the group? And he told us that we were to treat them like they were Gentiles and tax collectors. So that's it. If the group decides to kick them out, they're out. Because Jesus said heaven would back us up even if only two of us agreed about that topic. So amen to that. And then somebody brought up the fact that Jesus had in fact though healed Gentiles and had actually called a tax collector. <sighs> then Peter said, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Oh, there you go, Peter, always the goody two-shoes. Everybody knows, it says right there in the Torah, you have to forgive them three times, but no, he's going to say seven, trying to look good. 
Well, I thought he was talking about forgiving his brother Andrew. But he was actually looking in a rather obvious way at me. As though I was the problem. As though I was the one that caused trouble or was in the wrong in some way. As though I was the one who couldn't get along with people. Some nerve. I've just been trying to do what's best for the group and look after the best interests of all of us. But he accused me of holding secret meetings and of impugning his character. And he said that I had been telling outright lies about him and that I had once tried to get Jesus to force him out of the group. Well, maybe so. But it was just because that was something that needed to be done. So I looked over at Andrew, thinking Andrew would certainly say something in my defense, but no, it turns out he's a backstabbing turncoat like all the rest, and he actually sided with his brother. And then Jesus looked at me with such love, and he answered Peter's question, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? Not seven times. Jesus said, but 77 times, or maybe it was 70 times 7. He said he had called each of us for a reason, and that every single one of us had special gifts, and that we needed to appreciate one another and work together and love one another and get along. And when he said we all had special gifts, my ears perked up. And I thought, Jesus recognizes that I am gifted. He is a smart man. He appreciates my value. My gift is that I can look at any situation and immediately see the one thing that is wrong. And I can tell you how to make it better. Jesus is obviously wise because few people are able to appreciate that gift in me. But he found us when we were in the world an arrogant and self-centered people and he has brought us this far and he will not lose a single one of us, he says, not one. In baptism, he has made us one flesh, he says, one body with the heart and the mind and the soul of Christ, and he has breathed the Holy Spirit of God into our nostrils and called us to live as one holy communion, a sample for the world of what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. His disciples, he say, love one another as he has first loved us with a respectful love, a love that carries for the body and the mind and the soul, and a love to which we are held accountable. And as he was talking I felt my heart kind of warm towards Peter. Maybe I was a bit harsh on him. I'll say this for him. Given an idea or a task, you know, Peter just jumps right on it. He is certainly a man of action. And the others, I have to say, around me could kill anything in a committee. It's not easy living with one another day in and day out. It's not. Sometimes we get to bickering, 
Some days we forget who we are and we stab one another in the back. Some days some people will just turn around and walk away from us altogether. And every once in a great, great while, there may be somebody who refuses to respect healthy boundaries or who compulsively lies, who are so abusive that we might have to ask them to leave for the safety of the group. But there is no wound, no injury, no wretchedness so great, Jesus says, that I cannot heal it. Where you fail, he says, I will succeed. And whether you are happy or sad, or angry or filled with warm affection, Jesus says, I am with you. Wherever and whenever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am there among you. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. Amen.